Thank you to Lizzie for, for reading for us and uh, introducing us to the Tea Time uh, Prayer Time uh, placemats. Um, and just to, to say well done to Lizzie, in the middle of that, our internet decided to cut out. So apologies if you've had a, a few little blips this morning. Uh, it's part of the, uh, the joy, maybe, of going live uh, that these things happen. Well, we're going to spend some uh, time looking at those uh, verses from Luke chapter 3. Uh, And let's just uh, come before the Lord in prayer as we listen uh, to him speak. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that you have spoken to us, uh, most clearly in Jesus. And I pray this morning as John lifts our eyes to Jesus, uh, one more powerful than him, uh, the one whose straps of whose sandals he uh, he he was unworthy to untie. I pray that we would come away this morning with a big vision of Jesus. Would your spirit be at work in us, bearing his fruit in our lives? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I suspect many of you will probably share my kind of love-hate relationship with adverts. Uh, When I'm watching TV and adverts come on, uh, most of the time I can think of... uh, I can't think of anything better than avoiding watching them. Most of them are just painful to watch. Suddenly, it's that time to go and make a cup of tea or go on a hunt for a snack. Or if you're watching stuff on YouTube, uh, you find, like me, you've got your finger hovering over the button that says skip ad and you're desperately waiting to press it. But then every couple of years, an advert pops up that just grabs you. All thoughts of making a cup of tea, all thoughts of getting a snack, all thoughts of pressing the skip button, go out of your mind because you are hooked. It might be uh, the gorilla playing the drums. It might be uh, chickens selling cars. It might be uh, perfectly choreographed car parts. But whatever the advert is, you're hooked, you're grabbed. It captures your imagination. Now there's a sense, I think, in our passage this morning uh, that the crowds were being grabbed, being hooked, having their imaginations captured. But it wasn't by adverts. It was by a preacher. But notice that's not where Luke starts, is it? He starts with all the big names in politics and religion and well done for Lizzie for uh, naming them all. And I think Luke is trying to remind us that what's going on is real history. When we read it, if, we, if you look at verse 7, people came looking for him. We see the crowds coming out to him, to find him to be baptized. And then we get to hear what John has to say. He says to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Can you imagine if I'd, if I'd started our service this morning by, by addressing you and saying, You bunch of snakes? You'd be switching off and and skipping as as quickly as you could. Yet the crowds didn't. If you you look on to verse 10, the crowds stick around and they say to John, what should we do then? The crowd are recognizing that what John is saying is really important. They're realizing that in John they have a prophet, one who speaks from God. God has been silent for the last 400 years, and now he's speaking again through John. As he preaches, we're told in verse 3, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's words, John's baptism, 
were all about repentance. Real repentance. Real repentance so that people would know and experience the forgiveness of sins. He was the one who in the words of Isaiah 40 that are quoted, was coming to prepare the way for God himself. To prepare the way for God's arrival. Now if you were to imagine that the Queen were to uh, turn up in Thurnby, what kind of things would have to happen? Well, probably the potholes in the roads would be filled in. Various things would get a lick of paint. And lots of different roads would be closed. The arrival of Jesus... God's true and promised and forever king requires much more. You see in that quote from Isaiah, it's not potholes that are filled, but valleys. Mountains and hills are made low. Crooked roads are made straight. And he's not talking about the actual landscape around us changing when Jesus arrives, but the landscape of our lives changing. To know and experience the forgiveness of sins, to see God's salvation requires real repentance. Now, we live in a very different time, a different part of history to the crowds in this passage. Uh, Jesus, in some sense, has already arrived. Last week we heard how he, age 12, uh, was in the temple. His parents left him there uh, and then got worried and they went and found him. He, He really existed in history. He's arrived, he's been, he's lived, he's died, he's been raised again. And yet... In another sense, we still wait for Jesus' arrival. In all the uncertainties going on in our lives at the moment, Jesus left us with one absolute certainty, that he will return. And when he returns, he comes as judge. And this is good news. It's God giving his final say over everything, including our lives. And it's good news because every wrong will be made right. Every hurt will be undone. Everything sad will be made untrue. Everything will be made new. And as we wait for Jesus' arrival, there continue to be many big names whose words direct our lives. And many many of the things they say are important for us to hear. But what's even more important is what God continues to speak to us through John. That need for real Repentance. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there are two things uh, I would just briefly want us to look at. uh, What real repentance looks like this morning. And the first one, real repentance produces fruit. Real repentance produces fruit. You can't really miss it in verses 7 through to 14 in what John says. It seems like uh, some came and joined the crowd around John. And maybe had that sense of something's going on. They wanted to be part of it. They see others being baptized by John in the River Jordan and and kind of think, yes, I I want some of that. I, I want that. And John says to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to keep from the coming wrath? Verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. John is smashing up the idea that you could be okay with God when he arrives to judge, to display his anger on all that is not right. You could be okay with God if, if you're from the right family or that you've been baptized by John. I guess it's the same kind of thinking that we can fall into when we think we're okay with God because we've got Christian parents or Christian grandparents. We think we're okay with God because, well, we're churchgoers. 
We see a V. I think we're okay with God because, well, I'm pretty respectable. I'm good morally. John cuts through this. And he says what's needed is real repentance. Repentance is that idea of total change. It's the realization you're driving up the motorway the wrong way and then doing something about it by turning around. Except in our lives. It's so much more serious than driving up a motorway the wrong way. It's living against God in his world. It's life ensuring your actions are just. It's life content with what you've got. Repentance impacts every part of our lives. But John here zooms in on how we relate to other people when it comes to our money and our possessions. And the picture of the fruit that's produced is that the desire to have more is replaced with the desire to be generous. And I tell you what, there is nothing better than discovering that the generous life is a far bigger and better way of living. Now, one way we've tried to live that out recently as a church family is by setting up a discretionary fund. And I want to say a big thank you to those of you who have given generously to that. It's there uh, to provide one-off gifts to those, primarily in our church family, but not exclusively, who find themselves in financial crisis to meet that need in that moment. It's serving God through serving other people in the ordinary and the everyday. Real repentance produces fruit. But it's only possible because of the second thing, that we see about real repentance. Real repentance is all about Jesus. Real repentance is all about Jesus. John's message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins only makes sense when it leads us to Jesus. And you see, that's exactly what John does. If you look at verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly. They were wondering in their hearts whether John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Real repentance is all about Jesus. John, in his message and in his baptism, was saying to people, all kinds of people, including God's people, they were dirty and that they needed to be clean. They needed to be washed clean. And that was the picture of baptism. But all John himself could do was get people wet. Get people wet as a mark of their repentance. Baptism is a picture of, of being washed clean. Of dying to an old way of life. And being raised to new life. Being made clean. See, when I baptize people, whether that's somebody who's just recently become a follower of Jesus, or the child of a believing uh, set of parents who are trusting and expecting uh, their child to display real repentance later in their life, all I'm doing is getting people wet. But baptism's importance comes because of how God is at work in it through Jesus. It's only Jesus who can wash us, not from dirt, 
but from the stain of our sin. It's only Jesus who lived, died, and lived again who makes it possible for us to die to an old way of life and to live anew. It is only Jesus who can baptize us with the Holy Spirit so that we can produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus, the one more powerful than John. Jesus, the one John felt unable even to untie his shoes. But for all of us, repentance isn't just a one-off thing. It's a daily thing. Real repentance that produces fruit. Real repentance uh, that is all about Jesus. So, to finish this time this morning, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. A prayer of confession. Uh, So in a moment, some words are going to come up on the screen. And we're going to pray this prayer together. uh, Knowing that in Jesus, there is the forgiveness of sins. So we pray together. Almighty God. Our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own fault, in thought and word and deed, and in what we have left undone. We are sorry and repent of all our sins. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past, and help us serve you in newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen. And may Almighty God, who sent his Son into the world to save sinners, give you, give me, his pardon and peace, now and forever. Amen.